Chapter One of Pariah Planet by Murray Leinster. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, visit LibriVox.org. Pariah Planet, Chapter One. The little med ship came out of overdrive, and the stars were strange, and the Milky Way seemed unfamiliar which, of course, was because the Milky Way and the local Cepheid marker stars were seen from an unaccustomed angle, and a not yet commonplace pattern of varying magnitudes. But Calhoun grunted in satisfaction. There was a banded sun off to port, which was good. A breakout at no more than sixty light-hours from one's destination wasn't bad, in a strange sector of the galaxy and after three light-years of journeying blind. Arise and shine, Murgatroyd," said Calhoun. Comb your whiskers. Get set to astonish the natives. A sleepy small shrill voice said, Murgatroyd, the Tormal, came crawling out of his small cubbyhole. He blinked at Calhoun. We're due to land shortly, Calhoun observed. You'll impress the local inhabitants. I'll be unpopular. According to the records, there's been no medship inspection here for twelve standard years, and that was practically no inspection to judge by the report. Murgatroyd said, Chee chee. He began to make his toilet, first licking his right-hand whiskers and then his left. Then he stood up and shook himself and looked interestedly at Calhoun. Tormals are companionable small animals. They are charmed when somebody speaks to them. They find great, deep satisfaction in imitating the actions of humans, as parrots and minas and parakeets imitate human speech. But tormals have certain useful, genetically transmitted talents which make them much more valuable than mere companions or pets. Calhoun got a light reading for the banded sun. It could hardly be an accurate measure of distance, but it was a guide. He said, Hold on to something, Murgatroyd. Calhoun threw the overdrive switch, and the med ship flicked back into that questionable state of being in which velocities of some hundreds of times that of light are possible. The sensation of going into overdrive was unpleasant. A moment later, the sensation of coming out was no less so. Calhoun had experienced it often enough, and still didn't like it. The sun wheeled, burned huge and terrible in space. It was close now its disk covered half a degree of arc. "'Very neat,' observed Calhoun. "'Wheeled three is our port, Murgatroyd. The plane of the ecliptic would be—hm.' He swung the outside electron telescope, picked up a nearby bright object, enlarged its image to show details, and checked it against the local star pilot. He calculated a moment. The distance was too short for even the briefest of overdrive hops but it would take time to get there on solar system drive. He thumbed down the communicator button and spoke into a microphone. Medship Asclipus 20 reporting arrival and asking coordinates for landing. Purpose of landing, planetary health inspection. Our mass is fifty tons standard. We should arrive at a landing position in something under four hours. Repeat, Medship Asclipus 20 he finished the regular second transmission and made coffee for himself while he waited for an answer. Murgatroyd wanted a cup of coffee, too. Murgatroyd adored coffee. 
he held a tiny cup in a furry small paw and sipped gingerly at the hot liquid. A voice came out of the communicator. Asclepius twenty. Repeat your identification. Calhoun went to the control board. Asclepius twenty, he said patiently, is a med ship sent by the Interstellar Medical Service to make a planetary health inspection on Weald. Check with your public health authorities. This is the first medship visit in twelve standard years, I believe, which is inexcusable. But your health authorities will know all about it. Check with them." The voice said truculently, "'What was your last port?' Calhoun named it. This was not his home sector, but Sector Twelve had gotten into a very bad situation. Some of its planets had gone unvisited for as long as twenty years and twelve between inspections was almost commonplace. Other sectors had been called on to help it catch up. Calhoun was one of the loaned medship men, and because of the emergency he'd been given a list of half a dozen planets to be inspected one after another, instead of reporting back to sector headquarters after each visit. He'd had minor troubles before with landing grid operators in Sector Twelve. So he was very patient. He named the planet last inspected, the one from which he'd set out for Wheel 3. The voice from the communicator said sharply, "'What port before that?' Calhoun named the one before the last. "'Don't drive any closer,' said the voice harshly, "'or you'll be destroyed.' Calhoun said coldly, "'Now listen to me, friend. I'm from the Interstellar Medical Service. You get in touch with Planetary Health Services immediately.' Remind them of the Interstellar Medical Inspection Agreement, signed on Tralee two hundred and forty standard years ago. Remind them that if they do not cooperate in medical inspection that I can put your planet under quarantine, and your space commerce will be cut off like that. No ship will be cleared for Weald from any other planet in the galaxy until there has been a health inspection. Things have pretty well gone to pot so far as the med service in this sector is concerned but we're trying to straighten it out. You have twenty minutes to clear this, and then I'm coming in. If I'm not landed, a quarantine goes on. Tell your health authorities that." Silence. Calhoun clicked off and poured himself another cup of coffee. Murgatroyd held out his cup for a refill. Calhoun gave it to him. "'I hate to put on an official hat, Murgatroyd,' he said annoyedly, "'but there are some people who won't have it any other way. Murgatroyd said, Cheek, and sipped at his cup. Calhoun checked the course of the med ship. It bored on through space. There were tiny noises from the communicator. There were whisperings and rustlings, and the occasional strange and sometimes beautiful musical notes whose origin is yet obscure, but which, since they are carried by electromagnetic radiation of wildly varying wavelengths, are not likely to be the fabled music of the spheres. He waited. In fifteen minutes a different voice came from the speaker. Medship Asclepius! Medship Asclepius! Calhoun answered, and the voice said anxiously, Sorry about the challenge, but we have the blueskin problem always with us. We have to be extremely careful. Will you come in, please? I'm on my way, said Calhoun. The planetary health authorities," said the voice, more anxiously still, are very anxious to be cooperative. 
We need med service help. We lose a lot of sleep over the blueskins. Could you tell us the name of the last med ship to land here, and its inspector, and when that inspection was made? We want to look up the record of the event to be able to assist you in every possible way." He's lying, Calhoun told Murgatroyd, but he's more scared than hostile. He picked up the order folio on Wheeled Three. He gave the information about the last medship visit. He clicked off. What, he asked, is a blueskin? He read the folio on Wheeled, of course, but as the ship swam onward through the emptiness, he went through it again. The last medical inspection had been only perfunctory. Twelve years earlier, instead of three, a medship had landed on Wheeled. There had been official conferences with health officials. There was a report on the birth rate, the death rate, the anomaly rate, and a breakdown of all reported communicable diseases. But that was all. There were no special comments, and no overall picture. Presently Calhoun found the word in a sector dictionary, where words of only local usage were to be found. Blueskin colloquial term for a person recovered from a plague which left large patches of blue pigment irregularly distributed over the body, especially inhabitants of Dara. The condition is said to be caused by a chronic, non-fatal form of Dara plague and has been said to be non-infectious, though this is not certain. The etiology of Dara plague has not been fully worked out. The blueskin condition is hereditary, but not a genetic modification, as markings appear in non-Medellian distributions. Calhoun puzzled over it. Nobody could have read the entire sector directory, even with unlimited leisure during travel between solar systems. Calhoun hadn't tried. But now he went laboriously through indices and cross-references while the ship continued travel onward. He found no other reference to blueskins. He looked up Dara. It was listed as an inhabited planet, some four hundred years colonized, with a landing grid and at the time the main notice was written out, a flourishing interstellar commerce. But there was a memo, evidently added to the entry in some change of editions. Since plague, special license for medical service is required for landing. That was all absolutely all. The communicator said suavely, "'Medship Asclipus Twenty. Come in on vision, please.' Calhoun went to the control board and threw on vision. "'Well, what now?' he demanded. His screen lighted. A bland face looked out at him. "'We have, um, verified your statements,' said the third voice from Weald. "'Just one more item.' Are you alone in your ship?" "'Of course,' said Calhoun, frowning. "'Quite alone?' insisted the voice. "'Obviously,' said Calhoun. "'No other living creature?' insisted the voice again. "'Of—oh,' said Calhoun, annoyedly. He called over his shoulder. "'Murgatroyd, come here!' Murgatroyd hopped to his lap and gazed interestedly at the screen. The bland face changed remarkably. The voice changed even more. "'Very good,' it said. "'Very, very good. Blueskins do not have tormals. You are med-service. By all means, come in. 
Your coordinates will be... Calhoun wrote them down. He clicked off the communicator again and growled to Murgatroyd, So, I might have been a blueskin, eh? And you're my passport, because only medships have members of your tribe aboard. What the hell's the matter, Murgatroyd? They act like they think somebody's trying to get down on their planet with a load of plague germs. He grumbled to himself for minutes. The life of a medship man is not exactly a sinecure at best. It means long periods in empty space in overdrive, which is absolute and deadly tedium. Then two or three days aground, checking official documents and statistics, and asking questions to see how many of the newest medical techniques have reached this planet or that, and the supplying of information about such as have not arrived. Then lifting out to space for long periods of tedium to repeat the process somewhere else. Medships carry only one man because two could not stand the close contact without quarreling with each other. But medships do carry tormals, like Murgatroyd, and a tormal and a man can get along indefinitely, like a man and a dog. It is a highly unequal friendship, but it seems to be satisfactory to both. Calhoun was very much annoyed with the way the med service had been operated in Sector 12. He was one of many men at work to correct the results of incompetence in directing med-service in the Twelfth Sector. But it is always disheartening to have to labor at making up for somebody else's blundering, when there is so much new work that needs to be done. The condition shown by the landing-grid suspicions was a case in point. Blueskins were people who inherited a splotchy skin pigmentation from other people who'd survived a plague. Weald plainly maintained a one-planet quarantine against them. But a quarantine is normally an emergency measure. The Med Service should have taken over, wiped out the need for a quarantine, and then lifted it. It hadn't been done. Calhoun fumed to himself. The world of Weald Three grew brighter and brighter and became a disk. The disk had ice caps and a reasonable proportion of land and water surface. The medship decelerated and voices notified observation from the surface, and the little craft came to a stop some five planetary diameters out from solidity. The landing field force field locked onto it, and its descent began. The business of landing was all very familiar, from the blue rim which appeared at the limb of the planet from one diameter out, to the singular flowing apart of the surface features as the ship sank still lower. There was the circular landing grid, rearing skyward for nearly a mile. It could let down interstellar liners from emptiness, and lift them out to emptiness again, with great convenience and economy for everyone. It landed the medship in its center, and there were officials to greet Calhoun, and he knew in advance the routine part of his visit. There would be an interview with the planet's chief executive, by whatever title he was called. There would be a banquet. Murgatroyd would be petted by everybody. There would be painful efforts to impress Calhoun with the splendid conduct of public health matters unwield. He would be told much scandal. He might find one man, somewhere, who passionately labored to advance the welfare of his fellow humans by finding out how to keep them well, or failing that, how to make them well when they got sick. And in two days or three, Calhoun would be escorted back to the landing grid and lifted out to space, 
and he'd spend long empty days in overdrive and land somewhere else to do the whole thing all over again. It all happened exactly as he expected, with one exception. Every human being he met on Weald wanted to talk about blueskins. Blueskins and the idea of blueskins obsessed everyone. Calhoun listened without asking questions until he had the picture of what blueskins meant to the people who talked of them. Then he knew there would be no use asking questions at random. Nobody mentioned ever having seen a blueskin. Nobody mentioned a specific event in which a blueskin had at any named time taken part. But everybody was afraid of blueskins. It was a patterned, an inculcated, a stage-directed fixed idea. And it found expression in shocked references to the vileness, the depravity, the monstrousness of the blueskin inhabitants of Dara, from whom Weald must at all costs be protected. It did not make sense. So Calhoun listened politely until he found an undistinguished medical man who wanted some special information about gene selection as practiced halfway across the galaxy. He invited that man to the med ship, where he supplied the information not hitherto available. He saw his guest's eyes shine a little with that joyous awe a man feels when he finds out something he has wanted long and badly to know. Now, said Calhoun, tell me something. Why does everybody on this planet hate the inhabitants of Dara? It's light-years away. Nobody claims to have suffered in person from them. Why make a point of hating them?" The Wieldian doctor grimaced. They've blue patches on their skins. They're different from us. So they can be pictured as a danger and our political parties can make an election issue out of competing for the privilege of defending us from them. They had a plague on Dara once. They're accused of still having it ready for export." Hmm, said Calhoun. The story is that they want to spread contagion here, eh? Doesn't anybody—his tone was sardonic—doesn't anybody urge that they be massacred as an act of piety? Yes, admitted the doctor reluctantly. It's been mentioned in political speeches. But how's it rationalized? demanded Calhoun. What's the argument to make pigment patches involve moral and physical degradation, as I'm assured is the case? In the public schools, said the doctor, the children are taught that blueskins are now carriers of the disease they survived three generations ago that they hate everybody who isn't a blueskin, that they are constantly scheming to introduce their plague here so most of us will die and the rest will become blueskins. That's beyond rationalizing. It can't be true, but it's not safe to doubt it." "'Bad business,' said Calhoun coldly. That sort of thing usually costs lives in the end. It could lead to massacre." "'Perhaps it has, in a way said the doctor unhappily. One doesn't like to think about it. He paused and said, Twenty years ago there was a famine on Dara. There were crop failures. The situation must have been very bad. They built a spaceship. They've no use for such things normally, because no nearby planet will deal with them or let them land. But they built a spaceship and came here. They went in orbit around Weald. 
they asked for trade for shiploads of food. They offered any price in heavy metals, gold, platinum, iridium and so on. They talked from orbit by vision communicators. They could be seen to be blueskins. You can guess what happened." "'Tell me,' said Calhoun. "'We armed ships in a hurry,' admitted the doctor. We chased their spaceship back to Dara. We hung in space off the planet. We told them we'd blast their world from pole to pole if they ever dared take to space again. We made them destroy their one ship, and we watched on vision screens as it was done." "'But you gave them food?' "'No,' said the doctor ashamedly. "'They were blueskins.' "'How bad was the famine? Who knows? Any number may have starved, and we kept a squadron of armed ships in their skies for years, to keep them from spreading the plague, we said, and some of us believed it probably." The doctor's tone was purest irony. "'Lately,' he said, "'there's been a move for economy in our government. Simultaneously we began to have a series of overabundant crops. The government had to buy the excess grain to keep the price up. Retired patrol ships, built to watch over Dara, were available for storage space. We filled them up with grain and sent them out into orbit. They're there now, hundreds of thousands or millions of tons of grain." "'And Dara?' The doctor shrugged. He stood up. "'Our hatred of Dara,' he said again ironically, has produced one thing. Roughly halfway between here and Dara there's a two-planet solar system, Oreed. There's a usable planet there. It was proposed to build an outpost of wheel there, against blueskins. Cattle were landed to run wild and multiply and make a reason for colonists to settle there. They did, but nobody wants to move nearer to blueskins. So Oreed stayed uninhabited until a hunting party shooting wild cattle found an outcropping of heavy metal ore. So now there's a mine there, and that's all. A few hundred men work the mine at fabulous wages. You may be asked to check on their health, but not Dara's." "'I see,' said Calhoun, frowning. The doctor moved toward the midship's exit port. "'I answered your questions,' he said grimly. "'But if I talk to anyone else as I've done to you, I'd be lucky only to be driven into exile." "'I shan't give you away,' said Calhoun. He did not smile. When the doctor had gone, Calhoun said deliberately, "'Murgatroyd, you should be grateful that you're a Tormal and not a man. There's nothing about being a Tormal to make you ashamed.' Then he grimly changed his garments for the full-dress uniform of the med service. There was to be a banquet at which he would sit next to the planet's chief executive, and hear innumerable speeches about the splendor of Weald. Calhoun had his own, strictly med-service opinion of the planet's latest and most boasted-of achievement. It was a domed city in the polar regions, where nobody ever had to go outdoors. He was less than professionally enthusiastic about the moving streets and much less approving of the dream broadcasts which supplied hypnotic, sleep-inducing rhythms to anybody who chose to listen to them. The price was that, while asleep, 
one could hear high praise of commercial products, and one might believe them when awake. But it was not Calhoun's function to criticize when it could be avoided. Med service had been badly managed in Sector 12, so at the banquet Calhoun made a brief and diplomatic address in which he temperately praised what could be praised and did not mention anything else. The chief executive followed him. As head of the government he paid some tribute to the med service, but then he reminded his hearers proudly of the high culture, splendid health, and remarkable prosperity of the planet since his political party took office. This, he said, was in spite of the need to be perpetually on guard against the greatest and most immediate danger to which any world in all the galaxy was exposed. He referred to the Blueskins, of course. He did not need to tell the people of Weald what vigilance, what constant watchfulness was necessary against that race of depraved and malevolent deviants from the norm of humanity. But Weald, he said with emotion, held aloft the torch of all that humanity held most dear, and defended not alone the lives of its people against the blueskin contagion, but their noble heritage of ideals against blueskin pollution. When he sat down, Calhoun said very politely, "'It looks like some day it should be practical politics to urge the massacre of all blueskins. Have you thought of that?' The chief executive said comfortably, the idea's been proposed. It's good politics to urge it, but it would be foolish to carry it out. People vote against blueskins. Wipe them out, and where'd you be?" Calhoun ground his teeth quietly. There were more speeches. Then a messenger, white-faced, arrived with a written note for the chief executive. He read it and passed it to Calhoun. It was from the Ministry of Health. The spaceport reported that a ship had just broken out from overdrive within the Wieldian solar system. Its tape transmitter had automatically signaled its arrival from the mining planet Oreed. But having sent off its automatic signal, the ship lay dead in space. It did not drive toward Weald. It did not respond to signals. It drifted like a derelict upon no course at all. It seemed ominous and since it came from Oreed, the planet nearest to Dara of the Blueskins, the Health Ministry informed the planet's chief executive. "'It'll be Blueskins,' said that astute person firmly. "'They're next door to Oreed. That's who's done this. It wouldn't surprise me if they'd seeded Oreed with their plague, and this ship came from there to give us warning.' "'There's no evidence of anything of the sort,' protested Calhoun. A ship simply came out of overdrive and didn't signal further. That's all." "'We'll see,' said the chief executive ominously. "'We'll go directly to the spaceport.'" Calhoun retrieved Murgatroyd, who had been visiting with the wives of the higher-up officials. His small paunch distended with cakes and coffee and such delicacies as he'd been plied with. He was half comatose from overfeeding and overpetting, but he was glad to see Calhoun. At the spaceport they discovered the situation remained unchanged. A ship from Oreed had come out of overdrive and lay dead in emptiness. It did not answer calls. It did not move in space. 
it floated eerily in no orbit around anything, going nowhere, doing nothing. And panic was the consequence. It seemed to Calhoun that the official handling of the matter accounted for the terror that he could feel building up. The so far unexplained bit of news was on the air all over the planet wheeled. There was nobody awake of all the world's population who did not believe that there was a new danger in the sky. Nobody doubted that it came from blueskins. The treatment of the news was precisely calculated to keep alive the hatred of Weald for the inhabitants of the world Dara. Calhoun put Murgatroyd into the med ship and went back to the spaceport office. A small spaceboat, designed to inspect the circling grain ships from time to time, was already aloft. The landing grid had thrust it swiftly out most of the way. Now it droned and drove on sturdily toward the enigmatic ship. Calhoun took no part in the agitated conferences among the officials and news reporters at the spaceport, but he listened to the talk about him. As the investigating small ship drew nearer and nearer to the deathly still cargo vessel, the guesses about the meaning of its breakout and the following silence grew more and more wild. But, singularly, there was not one suggestion that the mystery might not be the work of blueskins. Blueskins were scapegoats for all the fears and all the uneasiness a perhaps over-civilized world developed. Presently the investigating spaceboat reached the mystery ship and circled it, beaming queries. No answer. It reported the cargo ship dark. No lights shone anywhere on or in it. There were no induction surges from even pulsing, idling engines. Delicately, the messenger craft maneuvered until it touched the silent vessel. It reported that microphones detected no motion whatever inside. "'Let a volunteer go aboard,' commanded the chief executive. "'Have him report what he finds.' A pause. Then the solemn announcement of an intrepid volunteer's name from far, far away. Calhoun listened, frowning darkly. This pompous heroism wouldn't be noticed in the med service. It would be routine behavior. Suspenseful, second-by-second reports. The volunteer had rocketed himself across the emptiness between the two again separated ships. He had opened the airlock from outside. He'd gone in. He'd closed the outer airlock door. He'd opened the inner. He reported. The relayed report was almost incoherent, what with horror and incredulity, and the feeling of doom that came upon the volunteer. The ship was a bulk cargo ore carrier, designed to run between Oreed and Weald with cargoes of heavy metal ores and a crew of no more than five men. There was no cargo in her holds now, though. Instead, there were men. They packed the ship. They filled the corridors. They had crawled into every cargo and every other space where a man could find room to push himself. There were hundreds of them. It was insanity. And it had been greater insanity still for the ship to have taken off with so preposterous a load of living creatures. But they weren't living any longer. The air apparatus had been designed for a crew of five. It could purify the air for possibly twenty or more. 
but there were hundreds of men in hiding as well as in plain view in the cargo ship for Morid. There were many, many times more than her air apparatus and reserve tanks could possibly have serviced. They couldn't even have been fed during the journey from Orid to Weald. But they hadn't starved. Air scarcity killed them before the ship came out of overdrive. A remarkable thing was that there was no written message in the ship's log which referred to its takeoff. There was no memorandum of the taking on of such an impossible number of passengers. "'The Blueskins did it,' said the chief executive of Weald. He was pale. All about Calhoun men looked sick and shocked and terrified. "'It was the Blueskins. We'll have to teach them a lesson.' Then he turned to Calhoun. "'The volunteer who went on that ship. He'll have to stay there, won't he?' He can't be brought back to Weald without bringing contagion." Calhoun raged at him. End of chapter 1